0: Lamb. Boy, do I love that. Praise team. I tell you why, wow, you just knocked that song out of the park. That was a blessing. Don't you just love songs like that? Just crown him with many crowns. Praise the Lord. God is, God is so good. Amen. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 down through verse 50 is a very interesting portion of scripture. And there's, there are three things that, that, and I believe the reason this portion of scripture are, are, is there, is, is to reveal to us that there are three things that can block us from investing in the kingdom of God. Three things that can stop us from getting rich in God. There's a place in the Bible, uh, I believe it's in Colossians and another place in Ephesians, the Bible says that we need to be careful in our Christian walk that when we get to heaven, and we're gonna spend a lot more time over there than we are here. Our life here is but a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. Our life here is very brief. It's a quick journey. So while we're here in this little compressed window of time, we gotta make sure that we make the best of it that we seize the moment, that we realize that we are going to be rewarded over there for eternity for what we do here in this life. Now, the Bible talks about there there are many things that we can invest and be rich toward God, be rich in heaven. Now, I'm not talking about just, just financially, but I'm talking about to be rewarded in the kingdom of God. The Bible says that some Some, when they get to heaven, are going to be able to enjoy the riches of heaven. Some are going to enjoy hay, wood, and stubble. So the Bible does show some equality or justice when it comes to the area of our investments. So God is faithful to reward those that give our best to him. Now, there are three areas, three areas that can block us from being rich toward God. There are three things that can really hinder us in this life that can keep us from gaining great reward in heaven. I don't know about you, but and I know some people, as long as I get to heaven, I don't care if I get any rewards. I just want to get in the gate. I think you're going to feel different when you get there. I think when you see Jesus, when you realize what he's done for you, and you find other people casting their crowns and and, and their jewels at the feet of Jesus, I think that song, I wish I had given him more, will come to play. And I think heaven is going to be such a fantastic place. And Jesus is going to be the focus of heaven. Uh, I thought about many people have gone on to be with the Lord. Don up there right now and already worshiping at the throne. And and right now there is this joy of being in the presence of Jesus. And thinking about their life in retrospect. I, I, I wish I had... Been faithful. Heaven is so grander, so great and so glorious. And the, the Bible talks about heaven being a place of myriads and myriads and myriads of angels constantly putting praise on Jesus. The saints of God, we're just the remnant of the church. Think about 2,000 years the church has been in growth process. 2,000 years of saints that are already up there. And we're down here. We're just a remnant. I believe the rapture is going to come soon. I think we're going to, we're the tail end of the church, and I think pretty soon we're going to get there, and when we get there, we're going to be so blown away. We're, in retrospect, we're going to be thinking, why wasn't I not living for Christ? Why wasn't I living for the kingdom of God? I think things will fall into perspective, and if we don't get it right here, we're going to miss the opportunity. There are three obstacles, three attitudes that will keep you from investing in the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to think future now. Think about heaven. Think about your little life you got left here. I want you to think about giving all you got here so you can be rich there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We'll pray, Lord, that you would bless it. And Father, I'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory for all that is said and done. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Now, I want to read this scripture to you. The certain of the scribes of the Pharisees, this is Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 down through verse 50. The certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and he said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man, who is Christ, be three days and three nights in the the heart of the earth. Speaking of the burial of Jesus Christ. Verse 41, The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come out, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then he goeth, he... And taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they shall enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first, even so it be also unto this wicked generation. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him, speaking of Christ, then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward the disciples. And he said, Behold, you are my mother and my brethren. For, what's, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father, watch this, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Great scripture. Now you're like, man, how did you find any principles out of that? But there are three powerful ones. And today I want to talk to you about the abundant opportunities that Christ gives us to invest in eternity and the three obstacles that will keep us from that blessing. They're obstacles. Now there are three of them that I find in the scripture here. Number one, I want you to write this thought down. I have to see it before I believe it. I have to see it before I believe it. Now, verse 38 says this. This is the Pharisees. The certain of the Pharisees uh, a scribes, and the Pharisees answered saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. In other words, do some magic so we can believe it. We have to see it before we believe it. You see, this attitude will always hold you back. It's the attitude of the Pharisees. The thing that is so amazing about this statement is that if these men had been paying attention to the ministry of Jesus Christ, they would have already seen thousands of signs of the power of Christ. In other words, it was a condition of the heart more so than it was the evidence of of the miracles of Jesus. Jesus had already been healing the sick throughout Galilee. In Matthew 4, 23, the Bible says, And Jesus went about all of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now watch this. And all manner of sicknesses and all manner of diseases among the people. In other words, these Pharisees were there. And they're asking Jesus for a sign. And Jesus is saying, basically, haven't you just witnessed all of the great things that I have done? In Matthew chapter 8, just a couple chapters back, Jesus healed a man with leprosy. That was unreal. It was incurable, but Jesus healed it. And then he healed the centurion, uh, uh, the servant. He healed Jairus' daughter, raised her from the dead. He healed Peter's mother-in-law who was sick. He healed all of the sick in in Matthew chapter 9. He also calmed the storm at the sea. He even delivered a man from the Gadarenes who was demon-possessed. Jesus healed him. In Matthew 9, he healed a man who was paralytic. He also healed a woman who had been suffering with a blood issue for 12 years. He raised a man's daughter from the dead. He healed a blind man and opened his eyes named Bartimaeus. He delivered another demon-possessed man. In other words, Jesus was constantly doing miracles. And just one chapter before that, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And these Pharisees were there watching the whole time. And Jesus basically looked at them and said, you want a sign? I have just proven to you that I have power over death. I have power over sickness. He is the Son of God, which tells us something. People who basically say, I have to see it before I believe it, has a condition of the heart, and it's a hard heart. The Bible says when the Pharisees heard it, The fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. When the Pharisees saw Jesus doing all these miracles, they were accusing him of doing it in the power of the devil. Now, the problem with the Pharisees was not a lack of evidence or a lack of miraculous signs. They had tons of them. The problem with the Pharisees was their poor attitude of stubborn unbelief. Now, may I say something here? People talk about the unpardonable sin, there is a sin that, that you can commit that, that God will never forgive and it will send you to hell. And that unpardonable sin is unbelief. Just choose not to believe. I have witnessed, I've pastored a long time, and I have talked to a lot of people and I have found that there are four basic kinds of hearts in people. It's right from the scripture. The Bible says, first of all, there's the hollow heart or the heart that's, that's been plowed up That's the tender heart. You drop the seeds of the gospel in that heart and it receives the seed and it gives life and eternal life and they get saved. There are some people who just have a heart to believe that Jesus Christ is son of God and they receive him when they hear the gospel. And then the Bible talks about the stony heart. This is the person who who believes but they're so filled with the world they, they believe with their head, but their heart is so filled with worldliness that when they look at the gospel and they say, well, that's really, I don't have room for that gospel in here because I don't want to go to church every Sunday, and I don't want to go to Bible study, and I like to party on Friday nights, and I like to go out and have a go. Let me tell you something, that's a stony heart. These are people that go, oh, I would like to, I would love to be a dead, but no, no, they, they're so filled With the world. They they don't want to give up the bar scene. They don't want to give up the party scene. They, They got stones in their heart. And when they hear the gospel, they believe it with their head, but their heart says, no, the stones have a way of crushing the seed, the birth of the seed. And then the Bible talks about another heart, and that's a, what they call a thorny heart or, or a lot of underbrush. So when the seed falls there, the seed falls down on the ground. And because of the, the underbrush, the, the, the things that we've allowed to come into, to clutter into our heart, the gospel is never received. It never goes into the soil. And then the Bible talks about the last heart, and that is the hard heart. And this heart is so trodden down. They have determined that, that there is no God. They have determined that, 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 that life is what it is. You're born. You're, you're like an animal. You just go through your cycle of life, and, and there's just no spiritual desire, no spirit. And, and when the seed falls on it, it just lays on top of that hard soil, and it, the seed just passes. But thank God that you had a hollow heart. Thank God that you were not born with a, a hard heart, a stony heart, or a, a heart that was filled with, thank God that, and I thank God this morning, I thank God this morning that when I heard the gospel preached that there was something tender in me and, and that when I heard it and when I received it, I, I believed it, and when the, the seed met the soil, there was new birth. Amen? Thank God you believe. Thank God. There are some that, that they are just hard. They just want to see a sign. No sign of faith whatsoever. Here's the problem. I've got to see it to believe it. attitude. It rarely reflects a single and genuine desire to learn the truth by objectively examining the evidence because it's rarely open to the real truth. They're rarely open to the truth. There has to be that open thy mouth wide that I might read. There has to be some openness. And I have witnessed to people they want to argue about, was the Bible written by man or is it written by God? Is there really a God or is it just aliens? I've heard all kinds of crazy stuff. Oh, I believe in evolution and and, and this thing, we just kind of impose in this religion. Listen, let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. I didn't come from an ape. The Bible says I was beautifully, wonderfully made. When apes, and by the way, I've never seen anybody morphing from an ape into a human in my 61 years, have you? Apes are born as apes, people are born as people. It takes more faith to believe that garbage of evolution than it does to believe that in the beginning God created a man and a woman. How true. I have to see some people in the area of the Christian life. Some people say they laugh at the idea of tithing. I have to see how tithing works out on paper before I can trust God to tithe. I have to see how serving God will benefit me and my family before I just commit to this Christian life. I have to see how being faithful can really pay off in eternity before I sacrifice here. And most often, this attitude masks a willful determination just not to believe. A stubborn refusal to take the risk that failure requires. You remember the story of doubting Thomas? After the death and resurrection of Jesus, after some of his disciples had reported seeing the risen Christ, Thomas was still unconvinced. And he said, the other disciples said unto him, we have seen the Lord, but he, uh, but he said unto them, except I shall see his hands and the prints in his nails, and, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side. He said, I will not believe. And it wasn't long before Jesus showed up, and Thomas saw Jesus. And, and he said, oh, Lord, my God. And he fell to his knees. What was the difference between Thomas's attitude and the Pharisee's attitude? When presented with the evidence, Thomas was willing to believe Thank God he got in. I'm not sure what kind of sign that the Pharisees were requiring of Jesus. Jesus had already given them plenty of signs, and yet they remained convinced, unconvinced. Jesus knew that the condition of their heart was hard. And then I'm going to go to the second one. I'm going to kind of skip a little bit of my sermon because it's already 11 o'clock. Don't let, number two, I've got to clean up my life first. I've got to clean up my life first, that's the second thought I want you to look in Matthew chapter 12. Now, notice what the Bible says in verse 43 down through verse 45. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. And then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came. That's a demon speaking. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first, even so shall it be also with this wicked generation. Now, basically, the parable is this. The story is here. Here's a man who has taken the initiative. He he had an exercise. A demon had left him. And what he decided to do, that he's going to take the effort to clean up his own life. The Bible says he put his life in order. He swept up his house, and he he garnished it. In other words, his own personal effort, he tried to make up his mind, I'm going to be a righteous, good man. There are some people that believe that I will live for God. I will live for the kingdom of God. When I clean myself up first, when I get my act together, then I will live for God. If I had a nickel every time I've heard someone express this idea, I'd be very rich. And I'd be filthy rich if I had a penny for every time I thought it. This mentality says, I'll get my life in order. I'll clean up my own act when I, ha- when I have more time. I'll make myself good. I'll prove to God that I mean business. And then I'll trust God for miracles at a later time. Then I'll trust God to do something great with my life. Then I'll experience his power to take another st- step of faith to serve. And on a deeper level, this mentality of I must clean up myself also says I'll do this because I must take responsibility for my own actions before I become acceptable to God and I find myself worthy to give or to serve the Lord through my own efforts. In other words, when I feel I'm the kind of guy I need to be, then I will serve God because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to go to church with some problems in my life and try to pretend I serve God. So therefore, I'll do it myself. I'll fix my own failures first. And yet these things never can be earned through vain and sacrificial effort. You can't clean up your life by yourself. Do you think Billy Graham or Bill Hybels or Rick Warren or Charles Stanley have earned the blessings of God upon them because they cleaned up their act and now they are these great men of God? They would each be the first ones to tell you that they've been blessed far beyond what they deserve because they submitted themselves to God. It was God that went inside their hearts and cleaned them up and built them up in the holy faith and strengthened them and grew them in grace to be able to be servants of God. God doesn't use these men because they made themselves perfect. He uses them because they made themselves available to God. And he is in the process of making them perfect. And it's the same with you. You don't clean up your life. you got to turn around and give it to God so that he can use it for you, for your, his glory. You give your life to God. You let him clean you up. And then he'll use it according to his purposes. I found this out in my Christian life. Holiness is not about a short-term effort. When you get saved, it's not all your sin is not, your issues are not taken away right away. When you first get saved, it's not like all the cursing goes away and the drinking goes away and all the junk goes away and the par- all the, the foulness, the immorality. All- no, the Christian life is a constant walk in the Lord. And as you pray daily, as you surrender yourself to the Lord, the conviction of the Holy Spirit over the process of time has a way of, of, of growing you. It's what we call regeneration. That's what we call sanctification, setting you aside. It is the process of time. It is a long-term life. Life long-term transformation. And as you submit to the Lord, God works in the details of our life. Every day you've got to yield yourself to God's grace and mercy and God's Holy Spirit in your life through daily prayer and baptizing yourself in the Word of God and baptizing yourself in prayer. And through that process, it is God that cleans you up so you can surrender your life to Him. But if you don't surrender yourself to Him and you don't put yourself to the exposure of the Word, if you don't put yourself under the exposure of prayer, those processes that build you up in the faith will never take Take place. It's one thing to get saved. And salvation is not a one time fix, it cleans it all up. It is a walk that you begin to grow in Christ, and Christ cleans you up in your life. And then here's the third point. And here's the third thing that will keep you from investing in eternity. And that is, I will just watch from a distance one of the most popular reasons why a lot of people don't get rich toward God. Look what the Bible says in verse 46 down through verse 50. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren. Now, I want you to circle these two words, the mother and the brethren. This is the the actual family, the blood family of Jesus. His brethren, watch this, stood without. Circle those two words, stood without, stood without, stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, one of the disciples, they said, Behold thy mother and thy brethren. Circle those two words again. Stand without desiring to speak with thee. But he answered, he said unto, uh, unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother, my sister, and my mother. And although the mother does not fall into this category here, some people and a lot of the family of Jesus, his brothers and sisters, were not devout followers of the ministry of Christ. And in the story we read that they wanted to speak to Jesus, so they, notice, they stood outside and called for him. And this is very interesting to me because why were they outside in the first place? Why weren't they on the inside track listening to Jesus? Why were they on the outside? If they really believed that he was the son of God, he's the savior of the world, the incarnate Christ, if they really believed that, they would have been so tight with Jesus that they had no business watching him from a distance. In fact, that's why John wrote in John 7, 5, neither did his brethren believe. His brothers did not believe in him. So they stood outside while Jesus taught. And when he was finished, then the brethren came and they called for Jesus. And Jesus makes a real strong point here. And he says to his followers, he let them know that there is no inside track in his kingdom, no special treatment, no shortcuts. Now back up a minute. There, you can have a casual acquaintance with Jesus. You can believe Jesus existed. You can tell everyone you believe in Jesus, and and you can call yourself a Christian. But let me tell you something. A true follower of Jesus will be tight with him and be a follower of him. A casual acquaintance with Jesus will never do. This is what Jesus is saying. Just to say you know him and there's no watching from a distance. You've got to get personally involved with Jesus. And he makes that very clear. For whosoever shall do the will of my father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother. And son. Listen, a person that claims, I know Jesus, but yet they're walking this way in the world. And Christ says, I, if, those that hear my voice, they follow me. There's a, there's a huge contradiction. And, and that would scare me because there's a place in the Bible that says that when men get into the, up to the judgment seat of God, they're going to stand before God. And God says, get away from me. I never knew you. They, Whoa, 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 wait, God, you can't tell me that. I I used to go to Crossroads Church. I I used to hear Pastor Tim preach every Sunday. I even went to an altar and I prayed a prayer. God said, I never knew you. And he says, depart from me. You say, how can that happen? And there are a lot of tears sown in among the wheat. And let me tell you something. When it comes to eternity, when it comes to the, the hotness of hell and the beauty of heaven, let me tell you something. I wouldn't take this casual. I wouldn't take it flippantly, man. Because let me tell you something. Eternity, you're either going to spend eternity in heaven or you're going to spend eternity in hell. You say, well, I don't like, you're scaring me. Let me tell you something. The truth is the truth. I'd rather scare you into the gate of heaven and tell you the truth than get up here and tickle your ears and watch you die and go to hell. Many people miss the opportunity and the fullness that God has simply for them because they want to watch from a distance. They want to stand outside. They want to observe. They they don't want to get involved as a whole. And you know what? Crossroads has a lot of places to get involved in. We're involved in world missions, Bible studies, small groups for all ages. We have an active youth ministry. We have an exciting music ministry, praise team ministry. We have a prison ministry, prayer ministry, children's ministries, and I can go on. We have so many opportunities here to serve God. We've got a a welcome committee, a parking lot committee. We've got, got a coffee bar committee. We've got committees that anybody can jump in and serve. And there are some in the church that just basically don't do anything. There are people who serve in no area of ministry, and I want you to realize that you're missing out on a great opportunity to experience God's fullness and God's blessing in your life. And it's not so much a case of the ministry needs me as it is a case that I need the ministry. And you'll never experience God's fullness by merely standing outside and watching. It requires participation. It requires involvement. It requires doing God's will for your life. Finding God's will and doing it no matter where you are in your life, no matter what age you are, it's a matter of doing what God has wired you and created you to be. There's no getting to to a point where you can say, that's a requirement for others because I'm above it. I'll just stand outside the door, and when I need Jesus, I'll call for him. And I want to reiterate the scripture in Matthew 9. He says to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. And then Jesus says this as church people. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. There are opportunities all around us. Jesus has given us an opportunity to be rich toward God. Your church involvement, your church of service, the local church uh, is a place where you invest. And what you do, it is God that's going to reward you. Your labor is not in vain. That's why he says, be steadfast, always unmovable in the work of the Lord, because it's not in vain. God will reward you and serve and bless you in eternity. And you can't miss out on what God has for you. And you got to watch out of cynicism. Stop saying, I've got to see it in order to believe it. Say instead, God, I've seen enough. I'm ready to believe. I'm ready to receive. I'm opening my heart to receive you, to receive all that the Word of God has for me. I'm glad some of you are here today, and you're, you're open to the Word. I, I praise the Lord for that. I just love that scripture, open wide thy mouth that he may fill it. When you come to church on Sunday, it just needs to be the open of the soul. God, put your Word in me let me receive it. Don't become defensive. Don't become argumentative. Receive the rebuke of the word. Receive the reproof of the word. Receive the word. Take it. Grow from it. And then secondly, I like what the, the, the second cynicism is, I'll clean up my life first, and then I'll be a blessing. No, you just give God your life now, Where are, wherever you're at. Just give it to God. Let God work in you. And then thirdly, Stop saying, I'll just stand stand outside and watch. Jesus basically told his brethren, his brothers, they're not my brethren, spiritually speaking. They're out there. They just have a casual acquaintance. They think they have an inside track. And he looked at his disciples, he goes, you guys are my brothers, you're my mothers. You're my sisters because you're doing the will of God. That's powerful preaching. You can talk and talk and talk as much as you want. The acid test, the bottom line of your authentic Christian faith is what you do because faith without works is what? Dead. Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. I can stand up here and say, I'm an apple tree. I'm an apple tree. I'm an apple tree. And I look out and I got lemons hanging off my limbs. But you're not an apple tree. What you've got going on in your life is nothing but lemons. And you're trying to tell me you're an apple. You're not. That's what the judgment seat of Christ is going to be about. Your life Screams what you really believe. Let's pray.